will please open your Bibles to Joshua, the book of Joshua. In a moment, we're going to read you know, from that inspired account. It is so good to be with you today. It's good to be with brethren on the Lord's Day to sing together, to pray together, and to meditate on God's Word together. I want to begin with a question, or a number of questions, and that is, are you and I beyond ever being deceived? Are you and I beyond ever being deceived? One other way of asking the same question is, can we be deceived and we don't know it? Can we be deceived and we don't know it? Well, the very nature of deception is that, really. That is, that we become blind, you know, blinded to the truth. We're blind, you know, deception will blind us to the truth, or blind us to the truth about ourselves, or, or maybe even blind us to the truth about a situation or a circumstance. That's the nature of deception. And God's inspired scriptures frequently warn us about the dangers and the consequences of deception. And so there's a number of passages you could turn to. We're not going to turn to those right now. Where it comes out and says to us in very clear, obvious words, it says, do not be deceived. And we're told that not because it's an impossibility, but rather because it is a possibility for us to be deceived. That is, Christians are not above being deceived. That includes you, but it also includes me. With that said, I want you to turn your focus to your Old Testaments in Joshua and turn to chapter 9. Chapter 9 of Joshua. And we're going to read a number of verses in this text. Beginning at verse 3. When the inhabitants of Gibeon heard what Joshua had done to Jericho and Ai, they also acted craftily and set out as envoys and took worn-out sacks on their donkeys and wineskins worn out and torn and mended, and worn out and patched sandals on their feet, and worn out clothes on themselves, and all the bread of their provision was dry and had become crumbled. They went to Joshua, to the camp at Gilgal, and said to him and to the men of Israel, We have come from a far country, now therefore make a covenant with us. The men of Israel said to the Hivites, Perhaps you are living within our land. How then shall we make a covenant with you? But they said to Joshua, We are your servants. Then Joshua said to them, Who are you? Where do you come from? They said to him, Your servants have come from a very far country because of the fame of the Lord your God. For we have heard the report of him and all that he did in Egypt. And all that he did to the two kings of the Amorites who were beyond the Jordan, to Sion, king of Heshbon, and, and to Og, king of Bashan, who was at Ashtoreth. 
So our elders and all the inhabitants of our country spoke to us saying, take provisions in your hand for the journey and go to meet them and say to them, we are your servants. Now then make a covenant with us. This our bread was warm when we took it for our provision out of our houses on the day that we left to come to you. But now behold, it is dry and has become crumbled. These wineskins were filled with new you know, and behold, they are torn, and these are our clothes, and our sandals are worn because of the very long journey. So the men took some of their provisions and did not ask for the counsel of the Lord. And Joshua made peace with them and made a covenant with them to let them live, and the leaders of the congregation swore an oath to them. Here we have a very interesting account where you've got these Gibeonites craftily deceiving God's servant Joshua and all the, the leaders of the sons of Israel. And so that's what transpires here. Now you and I can understand, you know, why they would have done this. That is, for the sake of their own self-preservation, because of the fear of their lives, the inhabitants of Gibeon cunningly devised a well-crafted plan. And they did so to enter into this alliance with Israel so as to be under their protection. So they were seeking protection from Joshua and the Israelites. The Gibeonites were extremely shrewd people. Now that's not necessarily a bad quality. They show wisdom in their action. But I suggest to you that reasonable motives, no matter what the motives were of the Gibeonites, it doesn't justify deception, though. You know, the motive never justifies deceit, that avenue. But that, that's what we see going on here. And the point where I just simply want to stress taking from Joshua 9 is this, and that is God's people, God's people were deceived. David, you may have to move it. It's not moving along here. God's people were deceived. A very simple statement. And you think, in wartime, because that's what's going on here. Israel is at war. And in wartime, you, you would have thought greater caution would have been taken. Or, after that unfortunate defeat at AI, before they beat AI... AI beat them, and they lost lives. And after that unfortunate defeat earlier in the book of, of, of Joshua, you would have thought they would have what? You would have thought they would have sought the counsel of the Lord, which they did not do, as we have read. But instead, what they do, they relied on their own discernment of the situation. And you know, when you think, there were even brethren, there were even some of the men of Israel who hinted that they may actually be inhabitants of Canaan. And so you would have thought after that kind of thought was expressed that they would have taken a little bit deeper cross-examination, maybe a little bit longer, you know, slower action in making that decision. But they don't. The leadership took the word of these strangers and trusted their own eyes. And it was a mistake. 
Can God's people be deceived? Yes. Can, can the world still ensnare us today? Can, can, the, can the world in which we live in still ensnare God's children with their well-crafted deceit? Can outward appearances be a lie and we not see it? Can that happen? Can spiritual discernment be swayed by shrewd worldly dialogue? Can we place too much trust in the words of men above the actual words of our Lord? Our greatest adversary, our greatest adversary disguises himself as an angel of light. David brought this out very briefly, made mention of it in his study this morning. There in 2 Corinthians chapter 11, verse 14, when it, talking about the false apostles, he says, No wonder, for even Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. Think about that. The devil is said to be the father of lies, and he is said to be the one in Revelation chapter 12, he's the one who deceives the whole world. The devil has done that. He's the father of lies who has deceived the entire world, and he disguises himself as an angel of light. You know, when the Gibeonites, you know, what they accomplished through their deception, I would suggest to you, is child's play compared to what Satan himself, what Satan himself can do through various means and through various agents to pull the wool over our eyes. The evil one, Satan, the devil, has the ability, has the ability and the power to appear to be a messenger of light. He who's the prince of darkness. He who's the prince of dark, the God of this world, can look and can sound like a herald of light. And one way he does that, one way he's done that is the fact he is through false prophets, false teachers, you know, false apostles, and that is men teaching you know, things that are contrary to the sound doctrine of Jesus Christ. That's one way. That's only one way he does it. He, he deceives men. He even deceives Christians. For example, in 1 John, John's first epistle, the apostle John says in chapter 1, verse 4, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test Test the spirits to see whether they are from God, because many false prophets have gone out in the world. We're not going to know it to be false always on the surface. So you have to test. You have to test the spirit to see if they are truly from God or not. Over in his second epistle, 2 John, you look there in, in verse 9 and 10, he says, Anyone, anyone, that includes me, anyone who goes too far and does not abide in the teaching of Christ does not have God. Anyone means anyone. 
And he goes on, but the one who abides, that can be me. The one who abides in the teaching, he has both the Father and the Son. And then notice what he says, verse 10. If anyone comes to you and does not bring this teaching, do not receive him into your house and do not give him greeting. And so that's one way. One way, the messenger of light, who, is, who may actually be the devil, can deceive us. But he can even use more subtle ways, more crafty ways, more cunning ways to ensnare followers of the gospel of Jesus Christ. Over in Colossians chapter 2, Colossians chapter 2, verse 23, he says, These are matters which have, to be sure, the appearance of wisdom. Paul is warning the church at Colossae about error, about falsehood. And he says, and he says, there is this appearance of wisdom in self-made religion and self-abasement, severe tribune of the body, but are no value against fleshly indulgence. And so there can be practices in religion which have appearances of wisdom. They appear to be wise. But in the end, they're not from God and they're not of any spiritual value. I, I, to me, and when I think about sometimes some of the religious innovations that are introduced you know, to try to improve on God's way or, or God's plan or God's institutions, you think about human innovations that are, are attempted and they present it as a, this, this is going to make things better and, we're gonna, and it's going to help. And as time passes, you begin to see the error of the way. Very simply, it can appear to be a message of light. It can appear to be a message from God, but once the facade is removed, it is not. The devil can make things look like they are from God. The devil can do that. The devil can make things sound like it's from God. And therefore, it's believable. However, we, we judge Joshua and the leaders back in the book, uh, book of Joshua chapter 9. You know, the Gibeonites were shrewd people. They had a well-crafted plan, and it was not so easy, it would not have been so easily exposed to be a lie. So, yeah, we may be somewhat a little critical of Joshua, a little critical of the leadership. But would we have done any better? <laughs> Satan plays on our emotions. Satan plays on our concerns. Satan plays on our fears. Satan even plays on our goodness. He can take the goodness of you and he can disguise things and get us to believe something that is not true, something that's not good. He is effective. He is you know, successful in leading astray Christians from a complete devotion to Christ. He's good at his job. That's why time and time again, the New Testament warns all readers, all hearers, all believers 
but all the avenues of deception. Satan knows if he can redirect our focus, if he can redirect our concentration, if he can redirect our thoughts away from God or away from his inspired words or away from his spiritual endeavors or away from spiritual fellow. He knows if he can redirect us and, and get us looking at something else, then he knows he can deceive us. Take, for example, Sardis. The church of the Lord in the city of Sardis recorded in Revelation 3. These were God's people. And they were not all bad. But these were Christians like you and me. Trying to walk by faith in their day and time. And the Holy Spirit directs John to write these words of rebuke, of reproof to Christians in Sardis. He says, you have a name that you are alive, but you are dead. They were deceived. They were blinded by the God of the world. They had a name that they were alive, but in reality, when God examined them, when they, when they were put under God's you know, examination, he says, you're dead spiritually. And they didn't know it. And they did not know that until John, by the direction of the Holy Spirit, wrote to them. And so they were told to wake up. Wake up because their, their deeds were incomplete. It wasn't that they weren't doing, they weren't doing everything bad. But they weren't completing what needed to be completed. And so God, out of his love on the Lord Jesus Christ, out of his love, reproves his children at Sardis. Another example in Revelation chapter 3, and you take the church at Laodicea, and where in their rebuke and reproof and call to turn back to the Lord and make things right, there is still opportunity for these Christians to turn things around. There was opportunity for them to turn it around. All was not lost. And that's why God was reaching out to him through the inspired word. But he, but he says this about the, the Christians in Laodicea. He says, you do not know that you are wretched and miserable and poor and blind and naked. Describing their spiritual condition. And he says, you do not know this about yourself. This is a terrible description of one's spirituality. And they didn't know it. They did not know it. They were deceived. They were led astray by the craftiness of the one who disguised himself as an angel of light, and they were in a bad state spiritually. And so they were called in verse 19, he says, you need to be zealous and repent. You can turn this around. You, know, you can make some choices, take some action, and get things going in the right direction. But the point is, with both of these examples, they did not know this about themselves. It happens, my brother. It happens. And it happens to the best of us at times. Our adversary 
is constantly pressuring us, pressuring you, pressuring me to set our mind on the things that are on earth. That's what he wants us to focus on. He wants us to focus on the things that are on earth. Colossians 3, 2 says, don't do that. Set your mind on things above and not on the things below. Not on the things on the earth, but the messenger of light, who's really this adversary of ours, Satan. He's trying to get us to focus on the things on earth, on things below. This life, the here and now, its problems, its uncertainties. And the power of deception is this. The power of deception is that we can become intent on wrong things, intent on wrong pursuits, and we don't see it. This terrifies me. This terrifies me. A deception can be so powerful, I can be intent on a path, go to you know, a path you know, leads where a path goes. I can be intent on a path that's leading down a direction that I don't want to go, and I don't see it. That's why the importance of constant examination of ourselves in light of God's Word, in light of what the Scriptures teach, is so vital to our spiritual well-being, to our spiritual maintenance, to our spiritual health. Because the devil knows, he knows, consume Consume a person's attention. Consume a person's concern with an earthly care. Consuming with that care. And that person can soon be distracted. Distracted from a proper devotion to God. A proper devotion to the things that are of God. How? Very simply, get our attention on something that is concerning us. It doesn't have to be evil. But we get distracted by that thing. Someone recently shared with me a quotation uh, by a person named Oswald Chambers. And, and I think it has some you know, relevance, some application to our thought today. And that is you know, when it says, he says, the Sermon on the Mount indicates that when, when we are on a mission for Jesus Christ... And the Sermon Out is all about calling us to Christ, calling us to the things of the kingdom, being you know, truly faithful, loyal citizens of the kingdom that is unshakable. And so here we've got this mission that there is no time to stand up for ourselves, is what this man suggests. He goes on to say, Jesus says, in effect, don't worry about whether or not you are being treated justly. And I would think some of that thought is being taken perhaps from Matthew 6. And what the Sermon Mount says in Matthew 6 about being treated by the world. But then he concludes by saying, looking for justice is actually a sign that we have been diverted from our devotion to him. There's some thought for there to ponder. Now that's just a man's exposition. Just a man's comment. I think there's, there's some things to chew on there that could be beneficial. And you think about that idea. 
The idea of worries and concerns of this world that can distract, that can divide Christians so that allegiance is not bearing the fruit to God that needs to be bearing. And you're familiar with the parable of the sower or the parable of the soils. And you consider the third soil in Mark chapter 4's account. The third soil in Mark 4 verse 18. And others are the ones in whom the seed was sown among thorns. So it was the thorny ground. Seed, the seed of God's kingdom was, thorn among, was sown among thorns. And these are the ones who have heard the word, but... The worries of the world and the deceitfulness of riches and the desires for other things enter in and choke. Choke the word and it becomes unfruitful. Such a simple statement, such a profound truth, and such an easy ensnarement. Three things. And they're not automatically evil. Riches are not bad in and of themselves, are they? It's the love of it. It's how we use it. You know, desire for something is not bad in and of itself. And nor is being concerned you know, about matters of this life are necessarily bad. But yet, he says, these things, worry, riches, and desires for stuff can choke, our, choke the word and we can become unfruitful. War and terrorism. Ungodly politics and unlaw immoral laws. Unemployment. And inflation, declining health, and death, natural catastrophes, and pandemics. What are all these things? All of these things are earthly concerns. There's, there are things that can afflict our life and, and turn our, our world upside down. And they are cares, and they are concerns, rightfully so. But I want to suggest to you is this, is that Satan, the devil, our adversary, who disguised himself as a messenger of light, can take each and any one of these things and use it to deceive us, to wound us, and to destroy us. He can take the circumstances of our life and our world and he can present a message of light. And our focus and our attention and our concentration is all on that. And he, and he leads us astray from a complete, proper devotion to God, to Jesus Christ. He's constantly presenting messages that have an appearance of light, an appearance of wisdom. But what he wants is he wants to keep us from doing what God has said. That's what the devil wants. He wants us to not do what we know is right to do. 
So he presents a message that distracts. He presents a message that is, in our appearance, in the appearance of things, wise. So beware of that. Beware of interpreting scriptures to make them justify circumstances which suit us. I'm going to end on one application. I'm going to end on one application. And I want you to consider it carefully. Modern technology. Modern technology opens doors. It opens windows of communication. And it has benefits. There is good, good uses of that. And you think for t- at times when you know, you're sick and you can't get out of the house, you're bedfast, or you're aged, and you are no longer mobile as the younger years were, and you're homebound. So yes, there are some good benefits to modern technology keeping connected But such connections of communication cannot leave our deeds in the Lord incomplete. There are exceptions for certain individuals. But for the rest of us, connections of communication cannot leave our deeds in the Lord incomplete. I was able, this past Tuesday, I was able this past Tuesday to FaceTime with David and Heidi the day that she delivered my stillborn granddaughter Edie. And I am grateful for that moment. I'm grateful for that means of communication, that connection. But I was not there. I was not there. Audio and digital connections make it appear real to us. But it is not real. I was not there. I was not where I wanted to be. Time and geography did not allow that. I'm grateful for technology. But as it doesn't change the truth of the matter, I was not there. Live streaming is an amazing, an amazing technological advance. Live streaming that allows people you know, to, to, to listen and to see what is transpiring at this very moment. We are live streaming. And it's an amazing thing that, that, that we can do this today. But live streaming does not take the place. It does not take the place of the importance, the spiritual importance. And it does not take the place of the spiritual need of being present in person as God has commanded. The angel of light. Disguised as the devil can take something good and blind us 
so that our deeds begin to become incomplete and we don't even realize it. Is it assembling together in one place? When, we're, when, when, when I am live streaming, the times that I quarantined myself because I was exposed to someone, and I watched, was I assembled together with you? No, I was not. I was not there, even though I heard and I saw. Members of the body need that God-ordained fellowship. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, as Paul instructs the church in Corinth about a number of issues, and particularly as related to the assembling, the coming together, and he says there in verse 26, you know, when you, come, when, when you assemble or when you come together, he talked about there's a psalm and there's a teaching in Revelation let all things be done for edification. It is God's established plan that members of the body of Jesus Christ need this God-ordained fellowship. We need it. Well, there are exceptions. We understand that. When it comes to our health, does not physically allow me to leave the house. But beware, don't allow technology to blind. Over in Colossians chapter 3, verse 16, does live streaming admonish and mutually one another in song? Is, you know, are, are, are we mutually admonishing one another in song when I'm home live streaming? I'm instructed in Colossians 3.16, let the word of, word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom and teaching. The wisdom and teaching that comes from above. And so he says, you know, let, let the word of Christ richly dwell within you with all wisdom, teaching, and admonishing one another. How? With psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, singing with thankfulness in your hearts to God. Are we, are we admonishing one another mutually? When I'm live streaming. Neither is it coming together. To commune with one another. In the Lord's Supper as one. If I'm not here. I'm not here. I'm not here. Even if I'm live streaming. And I'm watching you. And I'm hearing you. Partake of the Lord's Supper. But I am not with you. It's just digital. It's little pixels on a screen. That's what that is. And yet we are told in 1 Corinthians chapter 11 in the importance of the Lord's Supper and the, and the importance of partaking it properly. And throughout this text there is the principle and the standard and the pattern emphasizing of coming together. Verse 20, when you come together, 
And you look, drop down, you look in verse 26. As often as you eat this bread and drink the cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. When? When you're together. You're proclaiming this to each other. Verse 33. So then, my brethren, when you come together to eat, wait for one another. There are exceptions. We understand that sometimes circumstances do not allow a person to get out because their body is frail and their body is broken. We understand the benefits of technology. It can be used in a lot of good ways. But we need to be cautious the disguised angel of light can take the benefits of our technology, can take all that good and deceive us with it. Deceive us to think that all is well. Deceive us to think that this is good enough. Deceive us to think that God accepts our incomplete deeds. Satan is cunning. He is crafty. And he is, able to devise, he is able to devise a dialogue that appears spiritually reasonable. But what he's trying to do at a time of uncertainty, at a time of concern, a time of heavy hearts and burden, what is he trying to do? He's trying to lull us to sleep. He's trying to lull us into spiritual complacency so that we don't see ourselves truly. So beware. Beware. Each and every one of us needs to beware. We need to be careful because we can be deceived. The preacher can be deceived. Members can be deceived. We're not above that. And it's for that reason, caution and care and concern and prayer needs to be exercised with the greatest fervency and zealous love for one another. But the, but the devil is trying to lead us away from a faithful, diligent devotion to Christ. That's what he wants. He wants us to distract us. He wants to pull us away. He wants to distract us from our calling. The call that we are called to, to deny ourselves and to walk worthily of him who gave his life on a cruel cross so long ago. He's even this very moment trying to deceive believers by convincing them that being baptized for the mission of your sins is not urgent. He, he will use your own reasoning, your own justification to tell you it's not urgent that you submit to the gospel of Jesus Christ and be baptized for the remission of your sins. Well, there is all kinds of teachings out there in the world that tells you something differently from the plain revelation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And he may be trying to convince you right now that it's okay for you to procrastinate what you know you ought to do to make your life right. It's all part of the deception, thinking that there will always be a, a, another time. There will be a more convenient time for all of us. And that's not the case, is it? That's just not the case. 
Life is but a breath, a hand breath of vapor. If you believe Jesus to be the Christ, and you believe that with all your heart, why not, by faith, submit to Jesus' commands? Confess that faith in Jesus as God's Son with your mouth, unashamedly before others. Repent of your sins, whatever they may be. For there's no sin that the blood of Jesus cannot wash away if you believe in him. But then put on Christ. Remit those sins by being baptized into Christ as he commanded and raised to walk a new life. A life of hope. A life of light, a life of love. If you are a Christian, and there may be a sin in your life that may be of a public nature, and you need to confess it and repent of that and make that right with the Lord, or maybe of a private nature and you just want prayers, whatever your spiritual need may be, if we can assist you, we invite you, encourage you, please come now, make your wishes known, always stand and sing.